It's time for spring training, and we're going to talk baseball with the voice of the Red Sox, Dave O'Brien, coming up on the Seco Sports Forum. Play ball! Well, first off, good morning to Dave O'Brien, the voice of the Red Sox. How are you, friend? Jerem, Sam, I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And even though, as we speak, it's, you know, not even 10 degrees on the Seacoast here, I'm ready for baseball. Amen uh, to that. I've been for a while, so. Amen to that. And how's the family doing before we start off? Mine are great. I, I hope uh, also true of you guys, but uh, everybody well and, and nobody's had to deal with COVID or any of that. Uh, we, we feel very blessed and fortunate about, about that in this strange current age that we're all in and uh, hope it comes to an end soon. You know, I'm also, I, I work with a couple of guys, as you both know, and Jerry Remy and Dennis Eckersley, uh, who are of a certain age and I'm hoping as they are that they get their shots even before the season begins because that might allow us to get back to the ballpark and actually do games from Fenway this year. Well, it brings up the topic we'll start with. How about this remote broadcasting? I mean, are you finally getting comfortable sitting, I assume, right in our studio or the studio or office that you're in now doing your broadcasting from? Yeah, office slash studio. That's for my ESPN and ACC network duties. And, you know, I do a lot of college basketball and, and football when the season ends. Uh, college football, college basketball, not the most highly watched, as you both know, in New England. Uh, NCAA tournaments, a little bit different. Uh, the finals, the national championship for college football, it's a little bit different. But the season, most people don't realize, guys like me work a lot, you know, in, in November, December, January, and February. We're on all the time, even if it's not seen uh, a great deal here in, in New England. But So I'm really busy and doing a lot of games. I'll do about, you know, sometimes three games in a week. Unfortunately, doing, and I say this, unfortunately, doing them all from home because that's where we're forced to, to work these days. And to answer your question, long, uh, long answer on a, a short question, Sherm, I, I'm never getting used to it. Never getting used to the idea of not being in an arena or a stadium. I have not been in a ballpark or a college basketball or college football arena since March 11th of last year. Wow. So almost a year. Wow. So never to hear that, that live crowd is a very strange uh, very strange thing. Dave, uh, working on the ACC network, uh, I, I do watch a lot of college basketball and I follow it closely. Um, I do want to get your opinion uh, a little bit on the upcoming uh, tournament. Um, let's start with the ACC. Is Florida State the best team in that division? Yeah, they are, Sam. There's no question about it. You saw what they did to Virginia the other night and you know how good Virginia is defensively to hang 81 on them. Uh, I think this is the time of year where lately Leonard Hamilton, a coach at FSU, gets his system really cooking. And they've had a couple of COVID issues like so many other programs, but he plays about uh, 19 guys a night. He plays as many as he can. Uh, his teams are long. They're athletic. They play great defense. And when they're all playing the way they did against a really good Virginia, Virginia was uh, number nine in the country and playing really well. And they just thumped them. I think as close to the tournament as, as you intimate that we are to play like that, no question, they're the, they're the best team in that conference. Overall, nationally in college basketball, who are your, who are your favorites uh, looking to the big dance? Yeah, they're one of them. The Seminoles are one of them. There's no question Gonzaga and Baylor have been the class of college basketball. Gonzaga has been able to avoid COVID and continue to roll along, but Baylor has not. They've been on a pause for a couple of weeks now, 
who knows what they're going to look like when they come back. They might have been the best team in the country at the time they had to shut down. So that's the element in all of this that, that changes things. You talk about the ACC, it's a down year in the conference. Duke's not going to make the NCAA tournament. You know, Carolina is going to squeak in. I mean, when would you ever have said that about, and you know, a lot of the blue blood programs like Kansas are going to get in, but they're not at the same level that they're used to, you know, like my Syracuse orange are having a, a down year. Arizona's having a, a lot of these great programs like Kentucky, uh, Kentucky's not going to the NCAA tournament. So how about Michigan state, Michigan state's had a weird year. I have a feeling they're still going to get into the, but, you know, they're, they're right around 500. They have not played uh, to their ability and they keep losing games. So I, I think it's, it's just been an, an unusually tough year for everybody. Now come the NCAA tournament, it's going to be, you know, by the time we get to Indianapolis, it's all a bubble. Uh, that should correct a lot of these issues. I hope it will. So the tournament's going to be fascinating, but I do think it's wide open outside of Gonzaga and Baylor if Baylor's, you know, going to be able to come back from COVID. Well, my prediction three weeks away is, is going to be that the, the final four will be made up. At least two of the teams will be from the Big Ten because I think that division is battle-tested. I think they've avoided COVID. They, every night is a battle in that division, whether yeah. it's home or away for teams. And I just think that Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, two of those teams are going to make it to the final four. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think they're, uh, it's the class of college basketball uh, in what has been the most bizarre year I've ever seen. The three-man booth that Nesson put uh, together last year with you and, and Eck and uh, Jerry Remy, um, it really worked. It was, it, was, it was fun to listen to you guys. It, it must have been, though, a work in progress just to get used to it. You know, the, uh, the, the technology part of it, Sherm, was, was difficult at first because you're not sitting in a booth looking at the field. You're looking at great big monitors. Uh, you're not ob obviously all the time seeing everything that you want to see. Mm -hmm. There's that. We never got a chance to talk to a player. It was a short season. You remember, it was only 60 games. We never spoke to a player once. So you can't walk to the batting cage and ask, hey, what about that double play at second base last night? We're really happy. Did you tag him? Whatever. You, you don't have any of the backstory of a particular game. We did get to listen in on the manager, Ron Renicky, every day, but that's not the same as walking into the office at Fenway, closing the door and saying, you know, what do you think? Who, who, who can't you use in the bullpen tonight? We're not going to announce it when we come on the air, but come the eighth inning, we'll say he's unavailable. You know, you can't do that. So there's a lot of, a lot of information, touchstone stuff that you don't get. That part was, was weird. The easy part, the stuff that connected right away was the chemistry. And, and the yin and the yang between Jerry and, and Dennis and, and myself, I think that worked way better than we could have ever hoped for. Remdog loved it, you could tell. He, he loved it. He, he had did. his own little booth. <laughs> he was having fun, I could tell. I think <laughs> if, if he had his choice, he'd do it all the time that way. <laughs> you're, you could not be more right. And uh, he had a huge smile coming in every day. And then he got to get in the car and drive 10 minutes home. <laughs> At the end of the night. And when can you do that at Fenway Park? Any any idea with if you do get the 162-game season, uh, will the three-man booth be the majority of the games? I don't know, to be honest with you, Sam. I don't think they've determined that yet. Um, it might come down to how many games we can do live at Fenway. Uh, it, it may come down to how much the guys want to travel and don't travel. That can sometimes affect your allotment of home games and, 
and three-man shows. So I'm hoping it's a lot. I'm hoping that we get to do a, a ton of those because it was a it was very popular, I think, with fans and and I think a lot of folks would, would like to see it come back because you know we got a chance to do things conversationally mm. that work really well with three. Maybe not as well with two guys because when you have the experiences of those two, mm-hmm. which at times were very similar, at times were very different, uh, melding together. We had a conversation about how much pressure was on them when they played, and at times how little they enjoyed. Yes, I remember. You know the competitive part of things, and I I remember sitting there going, I mean, I think for the for the average fan, and I consider myself one. This is stunning that they got to do this for a living, to play Major League Baseball in front of 35,000 fans a night, you know, make a really good living. They were stars. You know, obviously, Dennis was a superstar and didn't enjoy a lot of it, didn't get a chance to really have fun because it was so intense and so stressful every night. And that conversation, I remember I, I heard from a couple of professional athletes in other sports, who watched that and were like, God, I'm so happy somebody said that. I'm glad a couple of athletes said what we've been thinking mm-hmm. our entire lives. They were like, I thought it was just me. Yeah. But um, the pressure that's on them uh, to execute, it's a relief when you do well for these guys. And I don't ever remember thinking that until they put that into it. So that conversation between the three of us is the kind of thing that happens in that kind of a booth. In the Globe, I've been reading the articles about what JetBlue Park is going to be like. It's going to be locked down. I mean, there's, uh, they're not letting anybody in. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be the weirdest spring training. Now, I will say this. I think for the players, it, it's a bit of a break because they can move so quickly from one field to the next. It's all going to be about baseball. There's not going to be a lot of media. There's, there's not going to be interaction with fans. So for them, it's going to be streamlined and they'll probably get more work done so that some of them may appreciate that that more. But my bet is, you know, when we get back to the normal spring training, uh, the normal kind of baseball season, we're all going to go, boy, it's so wonderful to have the game back and to have life back the way it, it normally is and whatever normal is going to be. And, I, you know, privately, I'm hoping and believing it's going to be very close to what it was before. You know, with this, with the vaccine that that you guys have been lucky enough to uh, to get underway, and the rest of us will have uh, hopefully by the end of the summer. I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't care about Punxsutawney Phil, the groundhog. It's when that truck leaves Fenway and heads south. You yeah. know, spring is coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that. I, I mean, for me, it's come the first of the year, Sherm. Uh, this I, something in your DNA when you've been in, I've been in baseball for over 30 years now. It's something in your blood that goes, it's time to get to Florida. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's time to hear the crack of the bat and, and see guys, you know, throwing baseball and watching batting practice. I mean, one of the great thrills for me is always getting down to Fort Myers. And the first time you get behind the cage mm-hmm. to watch live batting practice. And I mean, a pitcher airing it out to a major league hitter who's seeing a 95 mile an hour fastball for the first time in many months. So it's fascinating to watch that and to hear, you know, when the baseball strikes the mitt and you've got a catcher back there and a whole nine yards, it's uh, it's one of the great fun things for me at every spring training. Now uh, has Nesson figured out a schedule, a spring training schedule for you guys yet, or. Uh, we're still waiting on that. We're expecting that today, actually. Uh, 
to see how many games and all of that. Somebody said maybe 10 to 15 broadcasts, which is quite a bit. Um, I think there's a feeling within the Red Sox, they want to get this team out in front of people uh, because there's that, that nagging when you read, you know, certain columnists and you read things in the globe about, boy, this is going to be a bad club. It's going to be a piggyback on last year. I don't think the Red Sox internally believe that. And uh, I think with some of the changes that have been made late in spring training, you know, the narrative early was the Red Sox didn't sign George Springer. You know, Jackie Bradley's a free agent. Of course, Mookie was gone a year ago. The club had an absolutely horrible year. It was a, a historically bad pitching staff. So that's just going to continue. Well, Haim Bloom's actually made a lot of moves in the last couple of weeks many of which are under the radar, which is very similar to what he did at Tampa Bay, some pretty strong moves. I mean, Adam Adovito is a real quality relief pitcher. Um, I'd like him to work a little quicker, but uh, <laughs> like a lot of the guys on that right. staff. But I think that, you know, moves like that are not really celebrated. They're not big headline moves, but they make the team a little better. You know, Renfro's a little better outfield than we've had out there. You know, Benintendi's been traded. You've got – you know, the opportunity for certain guys to, you know, Dahlbeck to play every day or, or close to it, maybe hit 30 home run. He may strike out 280 times, but he may also hit 30. So, I mean, there's, there's reason to, you know, obviously with the lineup, the lineup's a good lineup every day. Uh, there's a reason to believe it's going to be a better ball club than a season ago. I think it's going to be better than a season ago. I certainly hope so. you got one of my ultimate fantasy players that they picked up, Kiki Hernandez. Yep. I've, I've, I've had him on my fantasy roster for years now, but the only problem with Kiki is that the Dodgers are so talent laden. They had to figure a place to plug him in. And so he didn't get that many at bats. So, you know, but he is a great utility player and I, I'm sure he's going to find a lot of time with the Sox. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a chance he could win the second base job outright, you know, and play every day there. But like you said, you can move him around and more of a Brock Holt type of player too. So uh, yeah, he's a good pickup and, there, there have been quite a few of them. Uh, and I think, you know, the pitching staff, they have Eddie Rodriguez back and, and completely healthy. Eventually, Chris Sale coming back at maybe earlier than people anticipate sometime in June, maybe earlier than that. I mean, you, I think the, the pitching staff is bound to, it's got to be better and it's bound to be more competitive. Now, in the division, Yankees are still loaded. Mm-hmm. You know, Toronto got a lot better, I thought, in the offseason, obviously, with the Springer signing. I, I think they're going to be a tough out every night, but I think Tampa Bay took a step back by dealing away Blake Snell. Right. Um, you know, the Red Sox and everybody else have to beat up on the Orioles. They got to, they got to win the games they're supposed to win and maybe sneak into a wild card situation. I think that's the, that's the feeling right now. I know Sam wants to talk about Heim Bloom, but I wanted to ask you about obviously Alex Cora coming back to the Sox and how you figured that is going to tight, tighten it up and unite, the team again I I think it'll have a profound effect uh and on certain players like a Raphael Devers and Eduardo Rodriguez and a lot of other of those guys who missed him uh in the clubhouse that's not to say anything negative about Ron Rennick he's a great guy uh and a good baseball man and he was in an extraordinarily tough situation a year ago but Alex is is the right guy for this job I think he could mean five, six, seven more wins for the Red Sox just by his presence. And uh, I think it was a very, very popular move in the Red Sox clubhouse. Um, you know, 
he he admitted that you know he was part of a situation in in Houston where they broke rules that he was guilty of it. He admitted it. He took his punishment. I think I think he's clear of that now and can just focus on managing the Red Sox. Which remember in eighteen, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I've never seen a manager have as many moves go right for him, particularly no. in October, as Alex Cora did. Absolutely, like you say, he has the ear of the younger players like the Devers and, and uh, Xander and all those guys. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's be honest to have a bilingual manager, you know, mm-hmm. someone who speaks Spanish and can really communicate with, with guys and do it quickly is a tremendous asset. Uh, and, and he's got that going for him and he has their ear, he has their respect and that's huge. I want to talk a little bit, uh, Dave, about high and bloom. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, almost 180 degrees different than Dave Dombrowski as far as philosophy is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, just announced Jeff Springs and Chris Mazza for the Red Sox, uh, who are non-roster players, have been sent to Tampa Bay. And two more prospects, catcher Ronaldo Hernandez and infielder Nick Sogard are heading to the Red Sox. So that's just part of the lineup here of Bloom's philosophy to restock the farm system. Um, and win for the future. You think that's the philosophy now at Fenway? Yeah, I, I think that uh, building for long-term stability is the number one reason he was brought in. I think the owners are tired of winning a, a championship and then finishing last. And then winning a championship a couple of years later and plummeting to the basement again. They're tired of that. And don't see any reason for that to continue. So you bring in a guy like Haim, who's a builder. Uh, he's done a really good job. Uh, stockpiling prospects. Hernandez has been one of the top catching prospects uh, for Tampa Bay in the minor leagues for a while. He can swing the bat a little bit too, and he gives you more depth there. Sogard is a veteran guy. For example, he can play a couple of different spots, and he gives you a veteran grittiness uh, inside the clubhouse, which this clubhouse could use uh, quite a bit more of, in my opinion. So I think that uh, you know those are smart moves. He made a lot of smart moves. I talk to Haim pretty regularly every couple of weeks and, you know, he's, he's sticking with that. You're right. It's a, it's a totally different philosophy, Sam, than Dave Dombrowski who carried around a a big checkbook while he was here and he used it. And the Red Sox won a world series. He did exactly what he was hired to do. I think in Philadelphia, you could very well do the same thing. Uh, But I think that this is different. This is uh, more of what, yeah, you could call the Red Sox maybe raised North, um, maybe you're not going to go for the huge free agent signing right away to plug holes. But I do believe the Red Sox will spend in ways that Tampa Bay was never capable of when they are close to that, that championship level, mm-hmm. you know, to grab the next bat or to grab the next you know, guy in the rotation to spend money on that. They're still going to do uh, just not as liberally and not as, uh, as as often as perhaps a Dave Dombrowski did. What was your impression or any story that you could tell about Dustin Pedroia when he announced his retirement? Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that was kind of a sad day. Um, happy for him that he's moving on with his life. Uh, but I was on that call too, on, on the Zoom call. Uh, and, and just, you could tell that that there was a bit of, sad edge to everything he said, you know, because he believed he could have played another three, four years uh, at a very high level. And I think he, he would have too. Um, 
the, the stories, there are just so many stories about Pedroia, but one that involved Alex Cora. I remember when Petey came up um, and really struggled. Remember when he initially yeah. got going, he was brought up from the minor leagues, he couldn't hit anything and he was, he was having a very tough time. And Alex Cora was on that ball club in 07. And he was the guy getting the playing time because there was pressure to sit Pedroia and play Cora. And I remember being in a clubhouse and everybody, all the writers were around Alex and somebody asked him, you know, aren't you the second baseman of the Boston Red Sox right now? And he looked at the guy and said, the second baseman of the Boston Red Sox is in this room and he's right over there. It's Dustin Pedroia. I remember, I remember thinking two things. What a great teammate. And what a future manager we're looking at, you know, to be able to, you know, and Pedroia, you could tell from that moment on, it felt like Pedroia, he was very relieved. He didn't feel like anyone was after his job. He was the guy and he took off like crazy and started, started the laser show after that. Um, Petey was so funny though. We'd be on, you know, late night flights. And I remember once uh, we were about to take off and the Red Sox got really, really super crazy health conscious for about a half an hour. And the, the, the training guys, the training corps took all the candy off the flights. Because oh. when you walk into a charter, they've got buckets of food and all sorts of stuff. Sometimes it's, you know, chicken sandwiches. Sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, Hershey's bars. And Pedroia's sitting there. We're about to take off. It's really quiet. It's about, you know, one o'clock in the morning. And he screams out for everyone to hear him. I weigh 150 pounds soaking wet. Can I get a Hershey's bar for crying out loud? You know, but that was pretty like, And he was a horrible flyer, by the way. Every time we were landing, he would be doing the same thing, screaming out, you know, we're coming in too hot. We're coming in too hot. Get a handle. Who's flying this thing? You know, the whole place would break up, you know, the entire flight. But that was Petey, you know. Uh, and you can you can imagine the the language was slightly different. Oh yeah. Now he he was always close to Terry Francona. Uh, do you anticipate that Dustin will try to get back in in through maybe potentially a manager or, or a bench coach or something like that along the line? That's yeah, interesting, Sherm. Uh, I I think that uh, Remy and I have talked about this not on the air as much, but um, Jerry doesn't feel like Pedroia is going to be real close to the game for a long time. Hmm. Uh, that he is going to step away and you know, raise his kids and uh, be with his family and all of those things. But you may not see all that much, <coughs> excuse me, of Dustin Pedroia. Um, and part of that is the, just the pain of not playing, not the physical pain, the anguish of no longer being right. able to do it. For a while, he thinks that's really going to stick with Dustin. And and that synopsis kind of makes sense for me. I I don't know if you'll ever see him managing a ball. I mean, you might, you know, everyone loves the gritty, fiery attitude and all that, but that remains to be seen whether or not he'll ever get that close to the game again. The Hall of Fame, for the first time in many years, did not induct anybody. Uh, there no names were selected. Uh, few were up there and, and got close to it. One in particular I'm going to bring up, and that's Kurt Schilling. Mm -hmm. Um he didn't take kindly to the fact that he was slighted and basically told the hall, take my name off. If uh, somewhere down the road, the old timers decide I'm worthy, fine. But for now, take me off the ballot next year. What was your take on the fact that they didn't put anybody in this year uh, and the, the, in his reaction, I guess? Well, 
technically he can't take himself off the ballot. He doesn't have the right to do that. The writers would have to do that. But I think that, uh, I mean, I thought Schill was, was uh, going to go into the hall of fame this year. I thought he would squeak in. I think he deserves a place in the hall of fame. Um, take away the politics, his own personal politics, his activity on social media, all of those things. And I think the reason you do that is because it has nothing to do with his performance on the field. And in my opinion, uh, given what he did in his career, the extraordinary uh, walk strikeout ratio, if you put his numbers up there, they're very close to those of Pedro Martinez right. over the course of his career. Pedro was an absolute first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. I don't know if Kurt Schilling's a first ballot guy, but I think he definitely be belongs in the Hall of Fame. His performances in the playoffs, just what he did in 04, you, you both know very well, was extraordinary. I, I, I know that that ankle was even worse than people knew. And he went out that to even walk on that thing was incredible, let alone pitch the way he did. You know, they're, he's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. That's all I'd say there. Well, I was going to say, they will have an induction ceremony for Derek Jeter coming up this year. That's what the plan is, if everything is calmed down by right. the summer sometime. Um, your take on Jeter. Yeah, well, uh, obviously a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, one of the great Yankees, uh, 3,000 hits. I'll never forget the last day of his career was actually not in New York. It was at Fenway Park. Oh, uh, the last game he played was in Boston. And I was the more, it was a Sunday and I was standing outside the Red Sox clubhouse waiting for the security guard to let everybody in. And the Yankees bus pulled up right down the right field line. And they had to walk across behind home plate to get to their clubhouse. And here comes Derek Jeter last day of his career wearing what looked to be a $5,000 suit looked like 10 million bucks, sunglasses on the biggest smile I've ever seen a human being have it was the last day of his career. And I think he was overjoyed. He was carrying a briefcase. And I always thought to myself, what's in that briefcase? <laughs> what, what would Derek Jeter have at a brief coming to the ballpark? But he looked like he was heading to wall street for the day, but it just struck me. He was so relieved mm. kind of to our earlier point about Eck and, and Remy that, you know, you're relieved when it's all over in a way, you know, and it's a great, it washes over you. He couldn't have been a happier guy that morning. Talking about that Hall of Fame situation, I, I kind of project ahead and I say to myself in next year's election, who's going to get the higher percentage, David Ortiz or Alex Rodriguez? Yeah, my bet is Poppy wins that one. Um, just my own, my own opinion. But, uh, you know, hey, A-Rod's done a lot of rebuilding of, yes. of his, you know, career and of his reputation. Um, and there's no question about that, but David hasn't had to do that. Um, and David, David's going to get a lot of votes. He's going to go, he's going to go into the hall of fame and, uh, the greatest clutch hitter I ever saw. But I recently read a, an interview he gave where he talked about, you know, today's game, too many strikeouts. It's boring when guys are just swinging over the fence and, you know, very rarely in his career did he even strike out a hundred times. Right. Um, David was a really, really good hitter. You know, we just had the passing of the great Hank Aaron. And uh, it's been a tough seven or eight months, I'm sure for you guys, for me personally, because I knew Henry Aaron. I knew Don Sutton. I'm very good friends with Tom Seaver. Wow. Uh, worked with Tom as when we were Mets announcers together. Uh, so these are really personal losses too. But in Hank Aaron's case, I remember interviewing Hank once 
when I called Braves games at the very beginning of my career. And I said, what are you most proud of that you accomplished in your career? And it wasn't the home runs. He said, you know, I hit 305 in my career. You know what that said? I was a good hitter. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was most proud of that he not, not the home runs that people would think of him as a good hitter. Well, it's the same with David. David wasn't just a slugger. We remember him for the amazing home runs, but David was a really, really good hitter and uh, knew the strike zone better than anybody in the game. And I thought that's what, what separated Big Poppy. You just brought up a lot of the legends that uh, passed uh, in just the past few months. Um, Joe Morgan, that was the first one I remember coming around. And then, of course, Hank Aaron and Don Sutton uh, and Tom Seaver. So just give us a little, little something about and Tommy Lasorda, if I didn't mention him, obviously. Little remembrances of some of those Hall of Famers. Good stories about every one of them. Uh, Don Sutton, who I was working with with the Braves, we were at a Dodger game early in my career. And he said, do you want to go meet Lasorda? I said, yeah, I want to go meet Lasorda. He brings me up to the Dodger manager office and there's Tommy Lasorda sitting in a barber's chair with the apron around him, getting his hair cut before the game. And I had never seen that before. Like a professional athlete or manager getting their hair cut before the game. They do it all the time, but I'm like, I'd never seen it. Uh, and, and he was like, Davey O'Brien, Davey O'Brien. Davey O'Brien was a great left-handed quarterback at TCU when I, and, he, and he did 25 minutes on David O'Brien. <laughs> I never even asked another question. Uh, so that was not – Joe Morgan and I worked uh, probably 30 or 40 games on ESPN. He was a wonderful, wonderful partner. He was incredible. He taught me as much about the game as Don did or Tom did or any of the guys you mentioned because he saw the game very differently. I remember a player made a diving effort in the alley once to make a, a great catch, and he missed it. And I was like, ah, oh, great effort. He came so close. And Morgan said, yeah, it looks that way, but it's not a smart play. If he pulls up and plays it on the bounce, he keeps that runner from advancing to third and the other running from going to second. He said the effort, it fools people because it's really not smart baseball. And it's things like that you think to yourself later. Right. Remember one of my brothers called me after the game and said, nobody else says that stuff on television. Joe was always willing to say more than everybody else and to be critical of players. And you know how sensitive players can be about that sort of thing. So, and Tom Seaver uh, was a great friend of, of mine. I got a chance to spend time with Tom and Nancy on their vineyard in California when we were working together. He was the funniest guy. He was, you know, he was a superstar for so long in New York. And, and of course, pitched briefly for the Red Sox. When I took the Red Sox radio job in 07, started doing radio games, Tom said, that's the smartest move you'll ever make in your life. That's the best baseball town. And I knew I was from Boston, but he said, I had more fun playing there than any place I played. Yeah. And you know something, we'll, we'll never forget about him when he was on the mound, how he, his delivery, how he literally would bury his knee into the mound and rip up his, the knee of his pants. That's yes. how, how, how deliberate he was in his delivery. The drop and drive delivery is exactly. father, his father taught him. And uh, I, I remember him, Tom telling me once he told the story on the air. He said, I would, when I didn't have anything, like I had nothing going in the bullpen before the game. If I knew I had nothing going, I would reach down right before I came through the bullpen gate to begin the start 
and dirty my knee. <laughs> so the other team would see it. And they would think, oh, we're in trouble today because yeah. he's really dropping. We're, we're in big trouble today. He said, psychologically, that probably gave him three outs. That kind of, that's how smart Tom was. And those, those, those players we mentioned were just that players. Uh, and Lazorda, he was the old school manager, the old play it by the seat of the pants manager. I know if ends about about it, those, those were a different breed and, and it's sad to see him go. It really is. It really is. And, you know, in Tommy's case, uh, he, he made so many contributions to the game. Don't forget he won a gold medal right. uh, with an Olympic team. And he probably couldn't have named three guys on that team while he was managing them, but I guess he got them all to get United States beat Cuba. Uh, and he got them all into the locker room, the clubhouse before the game and gave them an incredible speech about playing for the name on the front of the Jersey, the United States, instead of the, the back of the Jersey and guys said they, they would have run through a brick wall for Tommy Lasorda that day to win that game. And, uh, he was an incredible personality, but all of those guys were in, in their way. Tom, Tom Seaver, you know, he won 300 games, but Don Sutton won 324. People don't give Don enough credit for, exactly. by the way, one of the great curveballs in the history of the game too. Uh, talk about a smart pitcher, uh, mm -hmm. really brilliant guy. Dave, one of the things I wanted to ask you today, Theo Epstein has been hired by major league baseball to come forward with a report on how to improve the game. Uh, what would you advise him on? To do it? Yeah. You know, embrace that job uh, fully, Sam. The game needs a lot of help. As much as we love, like, we're, we're three old baseball guys. We love the game. We, go, we all go back, you know, various lengths, but we go back a long way. And we love the pace of the game. We love being at the ballpark, all of that. But that doesn't mean we can't look at the game critically and see how the pace of game has become – ridiculously slow you there's no reason on earth for a baseball game to take three and a half four hours nobody has that kind of time anymore to devote there's not enough action there's not enough interest for a younger audience because the younger audiences crave more action it's not that they don't love being at the ballpark it's not that they don't love watching their hometown team but it's got to be done quicker there's got to be more action involved and that's that's what i think i think the players Here's what Theo needs to concentrate on. The players are not going to make those changes. The average player doesn't think there's anything wrong with pace of play, that the rules don't have to be changed. I would disagree strongly with that. I think, you know, you're putting people to sleep with a lot of these games and, and the players are not the ones who are going to correct it. The ones who are going to correct it are in the commissioner's office and people like, like Theo Epstein. So I'm all for a lot of the rules changes. I think we, we are bound eventually to have a 20-second pitch clock. I think the idea of the double headers going seven innings uh, per game is a great idea. Anything we can do to get batters back in the batter's box, swinging the bat, and pitchers delivering the ball so we can get more action, uh, that's what I would advise Theo to do. It seems like games have turned into walk, strikeout, or home run. Mm. How do we get the ball and play more? Yeah, that's exactly the point. That's that's where you've got to have action, uh, Sam. You've got to have more of that, and that's what's, that's what's hurting the game. You know, I, I don't believe that – I'm not big on the idea of, of, of eliminating shifts because I, I realize the shift has been a lot of why we've gone to launch angle and the big swings and the proliferation of strikeouts. Uh, there's another factor, too. Pitchers throw harder. 
you're bound to face a lot more guys on a staff who throw 97 miles an hour than ever before. And they're being used for just an inning or, or you know, you've got to face three batters nowadays, but then you're out of the ball game and here comes another guy throwing 98 miles an hour. Uh, that's a change in the game that is probably bound to happen. Bigger, faster, stronger, we're going to get there. Um, I think that just getting hitters back in the batter's box and getting pitchers delivering the, the pitch quicker will lead to more action. Um, I would not be shocked if in our lifetime that baseball decides to go to seven inning games hmm. yeah. um, in order to uh, obviously increase a uh, decrease game time, but increase action. You've got to get it done. You may even bring back, you know, bunning a runner over early in a game, God forbid, uh, in order to produce an early run. So I wouldn't be shocked if baseball goes to very drastic stages at some point, unless it can manage itself better. If attendance starts to drop um, it, or the television network deals uh, change, yep. uh, where the money is coming from right now, uh, that's they are probably going to dictate the changes, probably not from, like you said, the players. It's going to come from a different, a different source. Yes, it was, certainly will not be the players themselves. So a lot of players don't realize that they work as slowly. For example, you talk to, I've talked to several pitchers on the Red Sox who are surprised when they hear they're taking 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds between pitches. Well, when you're in the moment and, you know, you're facing uh, a guy who, who can hit 50 home runs and you've got runners at second and third, you, the game speeds up. It doesn't slow down right. in your mind. But for the rest of us, it's a different story. So, you know, one thing baseball has done is deaden the baseball a little bit coming into this season. Um, and that's going to mean fewer home runs. Fewer home runs could lead to less of the grip and rip style we see today. Maybe that will bring strikeouts down a little bit because now you're looking to make more steady contact, go the other way, take a base hit instead of trying to hit one for it. Maybe, maybe that'll be the case. We mentioned Derek Jeter earlier is going into the Hall of Fame this year. He'll be going in with Larry Walker. He'll be going in with Ted Simmons and also Marvin Miller. Marvin Miller with the Major League Players Association years ago turned things upside down a bit and 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 he he, he fixed a lot of things that were wrong at the time. Um, people have either a positive or negative towards what happened. The only reason I bring it up is we're going into a negotiation at the end of this season coming up so where do you see things happening for the players versus the the owners right now it doesn't look good at all now as we sit here we've got months to correct that mm -hmm. uh, for that relationship to change if if you asked us right now you know how we all feel about the the state of baseball between the players union and management it's not good um and it's going to lead to some kind of a shutdown or a strike uh, come next spring right now. But uh, a lot of things could change. I, I, my hope is that when we all get vaccinated and we get people back in the stands and baseball starts making money again at the, at the rate that it was before. And I think so many things are going to change. It's going to be uh, a boom of an economy. I think that's all going to, it's going to be great for all of us, my own opinion, but I believe that'll be next. Baseball will be part of that because people are going to want to spend money on tickets and, and merchandise and everything else. I hope that will help change things. There's so much money for everyone. There's plenty to go around. I know the, the players believe the owners have too large a chunk of it. 
The owners believe the players have too large a chunk of it. How long have we been talking about that in baseball for 150 years? So uh, I'm hoping that the, the new mood when we get there will change things. Um, I'm not all that hopeful about that right now because it, it feels very much like it did a year ago when they had a hard time getting together on how they would even play the 60 games. Um, that looked pretty, pretty bad then. And I, I hope it changes though. I'm, I'm always hopeful that baseball will, will find a way. It always seems to. I was thinking about that. The day is at the uh, hall of fame, all the old timers at least will have their shots. Think about it. That <laughs> <You're right. laughs> What's your take on the newest uh, Red Sox reliever, uh, Hirokaru Saromora. Well, he throws hard. He looks like a closer to me, uh, to be honest with you, Sam. The Red Sox have had pretty good luck right. with relief pitchers from Japan. Right. Uh, so let's hope that continues. I, I mean, to me, he seems like a closer in the making. Uh, but like a lot of guys who come from Japan or Korea, uh, we have to get a look at him in spring training, see how the ball really comes out of the hand and what our, what our folks feel about him. But the Red Sox have done a very good job, uh, for the most part, uh, scouting and signing from Japan. And I think that uh, this is exciting. Uh, it's a late signing. Again, kind of what we were talking about earlier with Haim, a lot of late moves. Um, but kind of kind of interesting to see if, in fact, he's throwing 97 miles an hour and he can work that ninth inning every night, then that's a big problem solved for the Red Sox. Well, I think, I, I think the Red Sox, looking at some of the uh, – older mid-range contract players like Hunter Renfro, uh, Garrett Richard, um, you know, fit into the high and bloom mode, not the long-term contracts, uh, good, basic, solid players who can give us two or three years until the minor leagues develop mm -hmm. and come back. I'm going to wrap up with one more question. Does J.D. Martinez bounce back this year? Yeah, I, I think he does. I'm not exactly sure what went wrong with JD Sam. I mean, but everything did. He had a horrible season uh, by his own admission. I think from everything I've heard, he's working uh, extremely diligently to get back. He was embarrassed. Uh, nothing motivates a player, a good player, quite like being embarrassed. They hate to be embarrassed. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's been a great hitter and I think he will get back to being the hitter that, that he was. That was a huge miss for the Red Sox. Let me say this. If the Red Sox are at all going to be competitive, he has to. He has to play to his ability. He's got to be that 330 home run, 100 RBI guy in the middle of that lineup where the Red Sox aren't going anywhere. I mean, they have no shot of going anywhere. So he's a huge cog in that wheel. And uh, yeah, I think he does bounce back. I'd be shocked if he didn't, because if he doesn't, his career is effectively over. You can't have back-to-back -back seasons like that right. and uh, and continue. And he was limited last year because of the COVID restrictions of uh, watching a lot of the replays and whatever. That I know that it had an effect on him. I, you or one of the crew had mentioned that on a broadcast. Yeah, I mean that was you. You couldn't go back into the room uh, in between at bats and look at tape. That wasn't being allowed. Look at at video. Right. Um, I'm not sure where that is at the top of this season, but he's got to find a way around it if he's not allowed to, and, and that's huge for him. Well, I, I was going to say, since we last spoke, I lost 
and I gained. I lost my beard. <laughs> well, last time we spoke, I had my COVID beard going, got rid of that. The wife said, that's got to go. And it went. And uh, we gained since then. We've been working on a podcast and uh, it's, it's available now on all those major platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher and all those. So I, I'm, I'm glad to say that you will be a part of our, our podcast, Seco Sports Forum podcast. And I thank you for joining us. Well, I'm, I'm delighted by that. And if you're happy uh, with this look, Sherm, and, the, the, and more importantly, if your wife is happy with it, then <laughs> keep it up. Man. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's much happier this way. I mean, it was the Grizzly Adams look the last time we spoke. And, I, and you know, it was just one of those things you had to do during COVID. That and the Tiger King. And, and you know, the one I missed, and I finally took it up this, uh, this time around just recently, is The Last Dance the michael jordan story yes you know isn't it terrific it is it's a very very well done uh, documentary and uh, you know those are the type of things i, I wish they'd have more of but let's yeah. hope we can get out and watch live sports yes. with you and and Eck and and rim dog and and just pay attention to what's happening now not worried about pre-taped or pre-recorded or whatever i want to right. be in the right. now Right. So we're looking where, forward from your lips. Yeah. Where, where can we find you, Dave? What does your schedule look like? Well, I've got uh, a, a combination of ESPN and uh, ABC and uh, uh, ACC network games, usually Tuesdays and Saturdays for me. And I'll be doing some of the ACC tournaments. Uh, and then right into, uh, I think March 1st is, is our first spring training game that we'll be, we'll be in charge of. So, I uh, just can't wait to get started. You know, even though we won't be there uh, in Fort Myers, just to be able to see the sunshine and players on the field will be great. Dave O'Brien, we, we thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, gentlemen. Uh, let's look forward to opening day. Be sure to subscribe to Exeter TV on YouTube and hit the bell to get notified about new episodes of the Seaco Sports Forum and other local content. Follow the Sports Forum team behind the scenes on our Facebook and Twitter pages and send us your game footage and photos to our email. That's seacosportsforum.extv at gmail.com. This is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seco Sports Forum. Seco Sports Forum.